0: i going to look this morning at the simple yet ordinary and miraculous story of Christmas. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 here in just a moment. and We've all heard that story millions of times. Uh, and Maybe that's an exaggeration, but thousands. But nevertheless, it's still a miracle. It still moves me when I read this story. You know, there are a lot of different thoughts about Christmas at this point and a lot of different Venues, a lot of different people with a lot of different mentalities about what Christmas is supposed to be about, what's supposed to occur. I mean, as we drive down our streets, uh, we see uh, a vast assortment of different ways that people celebrate and uh, places and things that people put out in their yard. Matter of fact, as I was uh, reading an article today, not today, but this week, and it didn't call it this, but I looked at it and I thought, you know, that kind of sounds like a redneck thing to do. You know, most of you know I'm from South Louisiana, and um, that was always a popular term. And as I was looking around, and, and then I was reading this, this little article, I thought, you know what, those people are rednecks, and they just live in Flower Mound. That's what I'm calling them, suburban rednecks. And so here's a little test for you to see if you're a suburban redneck. Um, if you have more than five giant inflatable decorations in your yard for Christmas, uh, then you're a suburban redneck. Um, if you bought most of your Christmas presents last year, the day after Christmas for this year, then you're a Christmas. Then you're a suburban redneck. Uh, if you leave your lights up all year round and try to pass it off as a celebration for other holidays, you're a suburban redneck. If you uh, if you finally broke down and bought an artificial tree this year because the real tree wouldn't last three months, then you're a suburban redneck. And finally, if you've had to go out and rent or buy more storage space for all your Christmas stuff, then you're a suburban redneck. Okay? Just in case you're wondering, next time you point a finger at somebody, uh, now you know. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, the miracle of Christmas. Now, In Micah 5.2, a wonderful passage. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and ancient times. The prophecy of the Messiah who would come to an ordinary town, to an ordinary people, in an ordinary manner. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census taken uh, that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph always also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. Now, we see the miracle of God's plan as we see that God determined to use ordinary people. First of all, we see him using Joseph. Now think about Joseph. Joseph's a very common man. It was even a common name. And Joseph, we know from a further study, that he didn't have a lot because he offered a sacrifice for the poor. But yet he was a man of character. We know this because here's Mary who's pregnant, and he knows it's not his. And we know that he determined not to fully Uh, castigate her even before the angel made the announcement to him. But even after he received that vision, it still would have been very simple for him to have left, for him to say, you know what, that's a little more than I bargained for. And I don't know about all this God's the father kind of thing either. But Joseph, a man of character, determined to stay. He didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of prestige, but he was a man of character that God determined to use. Then we go on and we see that from Nazareth, well, there's a place that you don't want to be from. There's a city with a bad reputation. There's an area where there was a lot of hostility amongst Jews because they didn't feel like they were pure and they had made some mistakes in their history and uh, had not been faithful in some respects. And a lot of people still kind of let that be passed on. They kind of hung on to those biases and that prejudice toward that group and towards people in Nazareth. It was one of those towns that when you were from there, you didn't really want to admit it. You'd kind of say, I'm from the Judea area. You might not mention that you were from Nazareth, but it's spelled out in Scripture. It's where Jesus grew up. And then Bethlehem, a small town. Matter of fact, some scholars will tell us there were probably only about 200 to 300 and 350 people living in Bethlehem at this particular time in history. It's about six miles out of Jerusalem pretty ordinary place, even though it had been mentioned in prophecy. So you've got Joseph, you've got Nazareth, you've got Bethlehem, and then we see Mary. Mary, a young Jewish woman, probably of very meager means. It was customary in in Semitic history at this time that women would often be um, betrothed between the ages or even married between the ages of 13 and 19, so we can guess that she's 16 or 17, maybe 18 years of age. Here she is, she's pregnant, she's had to take all uh, all that hostility, she's had to take all the looks on and now it's time to give birth and she has been chosen as the one who will bring forth the Savior of the world. He went to register, Joseph did in verse 5, with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, another common event that happened quite frequently. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first son, and she wrapped him in clothes, not in majestic clothes, not in clothes of royalty, but simple clothes, placed in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the manger. Now, uh, there is some debate over the way that the, the Greek word is used there, uh, in the manger. But we know this. We know that uh, it's one of two things. It could possibly have simply been making reference to a stable. Most likely, it was probably making reference to a feeding trough. Nevertheless, uh, ladies, you can certainly attestify to the fact that that's not what you're thinking uh, when you're going to give birth. I mean, today, when we uh, are going to have our children, we want the most sterile, Environment possible. We want the cleanest hospital. Matter of fact, we'll drive by a hospital, and if it doesn't look exactly clean and new on the outside, we don't even want to go there. So the thought that we would go to a stable, or some scholars might even say a small cave or an indention in the hill, that would not occur to us. There wasn't even room in the inn. And so here, the Savior of the world is born to very common and ordinary parents. In a less than even ordinary way. A very ordinary small town. As we continue we see that the first to find out about it. Was probably a group of the most ordinary people around. The Bible tells us in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now. Sometimes, you know, it seems like it's a cool thing to be a shepherd now in the 21st century when we go back and do the Christmas story. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a shepherd. uh, Or if I couldn't be the head angel, I wanted to be a shepherd. And that sounds like a fun thing, you know, because they've got these nice fluffy white sheep. I think they've all been shampooed and washed and even blow-dried. You know what I mean? When we look at sheep today, we don't really have a good conception on what it's like to be a shepherd. And the real truth of it is, to be a shepherd, particularly in that day and time, was really that there wasn't anything else I could do. There weren't any other jobs. I'll, I'll, I'll just raise sheep. I'll attend sheep. I probably may not even own them. Matter of fact, if you'll read here, it even says that they were living out with the sheep. They commonly and most often would even sleep out with the sheep because it was very common for predators at that time. That's the way the predators would eat, whether they be wolves or bears or whatever it was that would come after them. And so a shepherd's life was one that was hard and um, you know, we have some references that they often smelled, uh, as you can imagine. So it wasn't something that people said, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd. That would have been a very uncommon thing to hear. It would be, uh, it would be like someone saying, you know, when, when I grow up, what I'd really like to do is, um, is empty trash. Uh, I would really like to work at a garbage dump. That's not something we may do that and we may find ourselves in that life, but as a child, that's not something usually that we look at. And we think, I'm going to dream of doing this when I grow up. And that was probably true for most shepherds. But here they are, the common people of society, and they are the ones that hear the message first. Isn't it interesting how God took ordinary people in ordinary circumstances? and produced a miracle that would change history. And he uses common, ordinary, everyday people like you and me. He still does, by the way. Let's continue on with the story here. We see as we move on here, God's gift for all people. It's a very simple message, but a very great gift. We hear it right here. But the angel said, do not, in verse 10... Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This news is for everyone, regardless of your economic status, regardless of your position, regardless of your employment, regardless of your nationality. This is good news for everyone. I've come for all people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, a savior That word literally means Savior, one who will save, one who can rescue. Christ the Lord. Christ the anointed one, Jesus. Christ Jesus the Lord. Yeshua, Christ the anointed, Yeshua. Jesus, save Lord God. The God who will save you has been born today. It's the message, it's the hope, it's the good news that has been offered to you. And I'm bringing it to you as the everyday people. I'm not taking it to the palace today. I'm not taking it to the political officials. I'm not taking it to the military. I'm not taking it to the wealthy, to the aristocrats. This is for everyone. And I want to start right here with you. I want to start right here with the shepherds. I want to start right here with a young man who's a carpenter and a young woman. And I want you to know the good news is this. The, the hope that you've been waiting for. That one day you could be in relationship with God. You could be at peace with God. That He knows your name. That He could be in relationship with you. Today, He has come. Now, that, there's a little acronym called SIMPLE that actually uh, Walter helped me put together this week with. It's this, Savior. Christ the Lord is that anointed one. I, an invitation, He invites you to come into relationship with Him this Christmas. The message, the good news, the hope, the salvation that's been offered for you, the peace for you spiritually that has been afforded, the presence that He has come to this earth and will dwell here with you as you receive. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 28. Even until the end of the age, that He has given you life, purpose, not only a reason to exist, but a way to impact the world today through life. I remember I was at a, I was serving at a church one time, and it's kind of neat when God does stuff like this to you. But I um I was serving at this church and we got this enormous sized banner, and it said uh, it said Jesus, the reason for the season. And I thought, why are we paying money for that huge banner? I mean, this was just like a ridiculously big banner. I mean, like it'd wrap around our church twice. I mean, it's just this huge mega banner out there. And I'm just thinking, that's such a waste of money. And I was talking to one of my other little minister friends, and we were saying, you know, that I can't believe we did that. That's just, that's just ridiculous. That's crazy that we did that. And the next day, phone rang, and he came to me, and he goes, he goes, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He goes, uh, I was just talking to this guy, and he was driving down the road, and he saw this sign, that sign that said, Jesus, the reason for the season. And he just got to him, and he was just thinking, I don't have any reason right now. I don't have any hope right now. And so he went home, and he got on the phone, and he called, and I just led him to Christ. Isn't it funny how God can take things that we look at and we think, oh, that's a waste. What are you doing that for? Isn't it, isn't it neat that God can use an ordinary sign, of ban- not even a real sign, a banner, if he so chooses to, to draw men to know him. You know, the end of that little acronym there is eternal. God offers eternal life to you today. Not simply life to exist, but peace. And not necessarily peace of the body He's not promised peace of the body. So many times we think of peace. Boy, I need some peace. I just need to sleep and rest. I just need peace. I need God to just take all these things away from me so I can just be at peace. I need peace physically. I need peace emotionally. You know what God offers? Peace of the soul. And that's different. Not that he can't bring peace, not that he won't bring peace, but you know what he promises here? Peace of the soul. You know what that is? That each of us were born with our sin nature, and we have our junk that separates us from God. And we are all born, and it's almost like we've committed some horrible crimes, and we are in prison, and it's like your daughter wanting to date us. And you're just thinking, that's not going to happen. But the thing about it is, is God is coming in, and he's offered forgiveness, and he's cleaned the slate. And made it new that no longer are there accusations, no longer are there transgressions on my account, but I am at peace before God. When God sees me, He sees righteousness. He sees me as forgiven, as His full Son. I was at church one time, and <clears throat> I was serving there and as a youth minister. And uh, I'll never forget, I had some car problems hadn't got my paperwork right on the first car and then another car that I had got stolen and it was just a mess and I was going to the driver's license bureau and I was trying to get all this stuff working out and it was like I just became a complete idiot, I guess, when it came to filling all that paperwork out. And it's like they were just, you know, I felt like they were mean to me. They didn't like me. And I was standing in these long lines. I'd get to that, you know, I'd get to the line and I'd get up there and they'd say, okay, now you need to go over here and jump down, turn around, pick a bell of cotton, and then come back and fill out this form. So it just seemed like I'd go from one place to the other picking up these forms, not getting it right, to finally I just, I just quit. I just left. I was just thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, and I only had like a few more days, and I had to get all this turned over for insurance purposes, trying to get it all sorted out. And I was we had a ministry going on at this time uh, at some of the junior highs, and this one young man had accepted Christ, and I was there baptizing him, and I'll never forget his mother came in, and she was there for the baptism. And we began to talk and had a good conversation. In that conversation, she mentioned that she worked at the driver's license bureau. And I go, oh. Man, that must be great. I didn't know what to say. I, I said, oh, that must be great. And she goes, well, you know what? If I can ever help you, let me know. I go, well, it just so happens that you can't help me because I can't figure it out. I know I'm getting my master's degree and I can't fill these forms out. Right. I can't get the right forms. I don't know what the problem is. She goes, well, I'll tell you what. Come on my lunch break and I'll just take care of it for you. So I'll never forget. I walk in there, and it looks like Dillard's on Christmas Eve. I mean, there's a line out the door, you know, and everybody's there with the paper, and everybody's in a great mood. I'll never forget how wonderful it was. I walked past all these people. I'm sure they were math. And I walked over this, this, this uh, you know, one of those glass window that's closed, and she opened it up. She goes, those aren't the right papers, which that didn't surprise me. She goes, here, let me pull these out. She goes and gets them for me. She goes, i tell you what, I just want you to sign right here and give me a check for this amount, and I'm going to take care of all this for you and um and I thought she was an angel and um and you know why that happened? It wasn't because I was good or because I had a title or I had money or anything else. it was because of my relationship with your son. you see. That's where peace of the soul comes from. It's because of our relationship with Jesus Christ that God fully accepts us. That we've accepted the good news, the hope of Christmas, that by grace we are saved through faith because of what Christ Jesus the Lord has done for us. Have you received that gift this morning? If you haven't, I want to invite you to receive the peace of the soul. Peace that no longer are you trying to do it on your own. Are you trying to get good enough? Are you trying to get your deeds up? you Are trying to clean yourself up so you can be good enough so God will accept you? No, the peace that God offers is not that you will become good enough, but that He is good enough and has already received you. Now, maybe you're a believer here this morning, and the hope of joy, the miracle of Christmas, it's not resonating. I want to give you four things to consider. Number one, have you surrendered? Kind of pick it back up and start over again and kind of start through that process again. You've not really surrendered your life. You're saying, God, I'm going to do it and then I'll get you to help when I need you. I'm going to kind of do life my own. I'm going to kind of make it happen here. I want to invite you to surrender. Number two, I want to encourage you not to get focused in on current circumstances. Here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to to begin to think about whatever is wrong right now and he wants you to just multiply that and start to live in the fear of the future, of the way it's going to be and how bad it could possibly be, and start to live right there. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 10.10 when He said, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your spirit and get you fixated. But here's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to recognize the blessings that you have received and start to focus on those blessings. Start to give thanks. Do you realize that's the purpose for which we were created? Is to bring glory to God. And so we are most glorifying to Him and we are most accomplishing our purpose when we are bringing Him glory. When we are being thankful and when we are blessing others. Let me ask you this. This is the week of Christmas. Who have you blessed this week? Who have you prayed for this week? Who have you shared a word of hope? Who have you shared the good news not out of guilt, not out of fear, but you know what? Here's some hope I want to extend to you. Here's some good news I want to give to you that Christ Jesus doesn't care what's been happening in your life. doesn't matter where you've been or where you've come from, but here's the hope, here's the joy that you are accepted and forgiven once you transfer your trust to what He has done. It's because of your relationship with the Son. Have you received Christ Jesus, the joy? The purpose of Christmas. If not, I want to invite you to do so.